Father, we thank you for this day that you have made, and we rejoice and, be, and are glad in it. Thank you that you are a God who's in control, a God who knows uh, everything about everything going around this planet. You control the governments, you control uh, the big things, and, and also you control each of our lives, and you know what's, what's happening in each of our hearts. God, we just want to pray for Allie, Dorothy, this morning, that you would put your healing upon her, that you would put your protection around her, that you would comfort the family, and that you would help them through this trial, that you would touch her body and heal her. We pray that you'd give uh, Dorothy, just or Sandy, just um, your grace and your, your mercy to make it through this time. We pray for the persecuted church around the world. God, our brothers and sisters who find themselves in difficult places, being run out of their home, family members being being killed, uh, difficulties, all because of the fact that they believe in your son, Jesus. And yet you've called them to love their enemies, just as you've called us to love. And God, I pray that you will strengthen them to live in that love and to love others around them. I pray that you would strengthen them in the midst of trials, that you would encourage them, that their faith would stay strong and stay secure in, who, in you. And so we lift them up today, and we ask that you would uh, just put a, a hedge of protection around them and uh, use even the persecution to take your gospel to the far corners of the world. So God, just be with us today as you open your word. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. I pray that you would uh, remove me, the messenger, and that they would hear directly from you, from your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, we are talking about love. So the expectation of grace is love. Uh, we continue Paul's discourse on putting off the old self and putting on the new self, of walking worthy of the calling of which we've been called, remember chapter 4, verse 1, of being eager to maintain the unity in the bond of peace, Ephesians 4, 3, of building one another up in love, Ephesians 4, 16. I don't know about you, but each week the admonitions of Paul get more and more specific and more and more convicting, and this week was no exception. Uh, this message was exceedingly difficult for me to put together. Uh, I think it's, the, prepar the preparation was difficult. I think, it was, I think it was due to the nature of the topic. There was lots of prayer and actually confession as the Spirit revealed to me places in my life and in my heart that needed to be reshaped. We all need the grace of God. We all need the grace of God. If you're joining us today for the first time, or maybe you don't know if you are a follower of Jesus, maybe you just, uh, you're just wanting to learn more, uh, but you're not sure what you're going to do with it, you're not sure if you could make the commitment to Jesus, my hope is that this message will shed light on Jesus' love for you and on what following Jesus is all about. At KMCC, our hope and prayer is that Jesus is someone you will want to follow along with us. So with that, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. I'm getting a little sad as we get towards the end of Ephesians, actually. Um, if you can, let's, uh, let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, 1 and 2, and then we're going to skip over to 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 12. And if you can flip quickly, that'd be good. Otherwise, it's going to be on the screen uh, behind me. So Ephesians chapter 5, 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then over in 1 John 
chapter 4. Starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his, perfect, his love is perfected in us. Amen. You may be seated. So love. We're going to begin by trying to define what love is. Our culture is really confused on what love is. Most would say love is a strong feeling or affection towards somebody else. Therefore, we can fall in and out of love at a moment's notice. If we no longer feel or have the feeling of affection, then the love is gone. We describe, phys- we describe it uh, physical pleasure in words of love, like, I love dark chocolate. I love a, there we go. I love a good tearjerker, right? Well, I don't. I love sitting in a deer blind, right? All right. When we read verses like this, though, Like it or not, having this interpretation of the word love in the back of our mind, it influences how we read the words of Paul. And when we read love as Christ loved, and we interpret that to mean we should have a strong affection towards others, we might not be getting the whole picture. We interpret Christ's love as him having a strong affection towards us. And that's true. Jesus does have a strong affection towards us. But that is not the type of love that Paul is talking about in this passage. Paul is not talking about feelings of affection. In this passage, Paul is pointing us to God's love. God's love is more than affection. It is more than physical pleasure. God's love is a choice resulting in an action. So God's love is a choice resulting in an action. Love is an action. Love is not a feeling. And get this, because love is not based on feelings, God's love is not directed to himself. It's not towards himself. His love is always directed outward to others, to us. Love is an action which results in the good of somebody else. And Jesus is the manifestation of God's love in action. We're looking at that today. In contrast, our culture is obsessed with self-love. We hear terms like self-expression, self-gratification, self-fulfillment, self-identity, self-worth, and they're thrown around all the time. Self-love, we're told, is the source of being a healthy individual, right? We're told that if we can love ourselves with this strong affection, then we can begin to love others with a strong affection, After all, God's word says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? I would agree that having a proper self-image is important, but I would submit that if self-love is the source of loving others, 
then I think our society, I would think our society as a whole, would be seeing progress in how we treat one another, not deterioration. Unfortunately, it seems that in, in our self-love, our culture is becoming more and more damaging to one another and more and more dangerous to live in. We see divorce at an all-time high. We see foster system is overflowing with kids. We see uh, prison system is overflowing. There's murder, there's terror, there's abortion, there's human trafficking, genocide. It just goes on and on, and you, you know it. So if love your neighbor as yourself was about sourcing love in the love of ourselves, then I would expect that things in this world would be much different. But I'm going to submit to you that the statement, as yourself, as stated in that Old Testament quote, is not referring to the source of our love. It is making a comparison. We all love ourselves. And actually, that's the big problem. Notice what Paul says in our passage. He says, he doesn't say, love one another as yourself. He says, love as Christ loved us. So I would submit that the love of Jesus is the source of loving others. See, the love of self leads to division and destruction, which we've been talking about is the devil's plan for humanity. But the love of Jesus leads to loving others and unity, which, as we've seen, is God's plan for all of humanity. So self-love causes division. Jesus' love results in unity. Jesus' love and self-love are opposites. They do not mix. And there are times when the true love of Jesus shines through someone's life, and it's so countercultural, everyone notices. I don't, back on October 3rd, 2019, I uh, read this in the Washington Post. Actually, I saw it on the news first, and I went and grabbed it this week. And some of you may have watched this on, on television, on the news broadcast that night. It went across the nation. Here's how the Washington Post says it. The first hug was stunning enough. A young man embracing his brother's killer for nearly a minute in the middle of a courtroom. Just after telling the woman, I forgive you. I love you as a person and I don't wish anything bad upon you. 18-year-old Brant Jean assured Amber Geiger, the former Dallas police officer convicted Tuesday of shooting Botham Jean as he ate ice cream in his home. Then came another unlikely embrace from the judge. Judge Tammy Kemp walked over in her black robe to give Geiger a Bible. Then she wrapped her arms around Geiger and murmured to her. Together, they prayed. Did you guys see that on the news? Yeah, it was, it was all over the place. This is an example of how we as followers of Jesus can make a difference. In, in verse 1, Paul says, therefore. And we always talk about, when you look at therefore, you've got to know what the therefore is there for. It's pointing back. And this points back to the phrase, as God in Christ forgave you. As God in Christ forgave you, therefore. So it's important to remember that Jesus has instituted a new covenant with us. It's a covenant of grace where he in love forgave us of our sins and did all the work in saving us. Now as recipients of this new covenant, Paul points out that we are supposed to act differently. What he does not point to in this, in this section is the old covenant, like the Ten Commandments, as the source of living differently. Instead, he appeals to our inclusion in the new covenant of grace instituted by Jesus. Paul says, forgive as God forgave you. Love as Christ loved you. 
So the new standard of living and loving is sourced in the loving example of Jesus, not a list of prohibitions. So the new standard of living and loving is sourced in the love that we received from Jesus. So how do we know the difference between self-love and Jesus' love? In keeping with this style, Paul is going to contrast Christ's love, what we are to put on, and self-love, what we're to put off. The disciple of Jesus is always in a process, all through life, of putting on the new, putting off the old. And this week we're focusing on putting on. We're putting on Christ's love. And next week we're going to look at putting off self-love. We're going to talk about the old works of darkness. So next week's title is going to be Walking in Light. Today is Walking in Love. Now I apologize today. We're going to be jumping around a little bit in your Bibles, so you're going to have to stay awake. Um, So hang on to your seats. Be ready to flip pages. Here we go. So Walking in Love. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. So we're to imitate God. We all have stories of our kids wanting to imitate us. When they're young, they want to be just like daddy. They got to imitate us by having the tool belt, wearing the flannel shirt, walking how we walk, eating how we eat, eating what we eat, holding the TV remote just like daddy. When they're little, they think doing dishes is cool because daddy did it. Uh, They want to take that plastic lawnmower and go out and cut all the grass, right? And you always got to watch what you say because they're going to repeat most everything that comes out of your mouth, right? They imitate dad. I was reading through an old journal and I'd written about how Malachi, when he was two, wanted to pray at the dinner table like daddy. He could barely talk, but he would shut his eyes and mumble something that only he could understand. And I came to the conclusion that most of my prayers must have been unintelligible to him, probably like the teacher in Charlie Brown, like But he wanted to imitate daddy. And so it should be for us. We should want to imitate our daddy, our heavenly father. And specifically in this context, imitating God is loving as he loves. Now what is it about God that we're to imitate? From this context, it would be his forgiveness and his love. God is a forgiving and gracious, patient, loving, caring, compassionate, kind, faithful, ever-present father. He's infinitely better than any earthly father could ever be. Though undeserving, he loves each one of us, all of us, unconditionally and eternally. God says, imitate me. Imitate my unconditional, forgiving, infinite, and complete love. But he says something that's really important here. He says, that one word there that sticks off the page at me, that word beloved. And that word is packed with meaning and importance. Remember, when Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River, when Jesus came up out of the water, God's voice came from heaven and said what? He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Just as God loved Jesus, he loves us. We are his beloved. You are his beloved. As we saw in chapter one of Ephesians, we are accepted in the beloved. We are saints, we're separated apart for God's special purposes. We are chosen, we're deeply loved beyond measure. As God the Father saw his beloved son, so he sees all of us, ones with whom he is well pleased. 
God knows us through and through, good and bad, all of us. Yet in spite of all that, he chose to act in love towards us. He considers us his beloved. So as beloved children who imitate our daddy, we are to respond by putting on Jesus' love. Now Jesus' love would be briefly defined as life lived for the sake of others. And we're going to look at three, three, way, three aspects of that today in verse 2. You're wondering, how in the world did he pull all this out of these two verses? I'm telling you, that's why it took me so long. Anyway, verse 2 says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. First of all, Jesus' love is worshipful. Jesus gave himself up as a fragrant offering. The idea of a fragrant offering comes from the Old Testament sacrificial system. God's people would bring an offering to the, of, to the Lord, to the temple, or to the tabernacle as an act of worship, of faith, of honor, of gratitude for his provision and his care. There were three fragrant offerings mentioned in Leviticus chapters 1 through 3. If you want to read, they're pretty long. You can go there. Uh, a burnt offering, a grain offering, and a peace offering. Depending on how wealthy they were, they would bring an animal or a bird, some bread, food, and they would burn it up on the altar as an act of worship to God. The Old Testament says that God would smell the fragrant offering and it would be a pleasing aroma to him. Jesus offered his life to God as a pleasing aroma to him. Jesus willingly gave of himself in love and admiration to God the Father. He was completely devoted to God and through his offering he made peace by the blood of his cross. In doing so, Jesus was the fulfillment of the fragrant offerings of the Old Testament. Jesus is the true fragrant offering which was a sweet aroma in the nostrils of God the Father. Now as followers of Jesus, we imitate the love of Jesus. Our, fir- our love is first and foremost directed towards God. This is called worship. Our lives as followers of Jesus should be sourced in the worship of God. Many weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 1, we looked at the importance of worship. We looked at how the opening verses of chapter 1 are calling us to worship God for his greatness, his love, his kindness and his forgiveness and his glorious grace. Blessed be the God and Father, remember? Our relationship with God and our worship of him is the foundation for all that we do. Worship comes first. It's the source of everything else. Worship is the source of love. Worship is the source of forgiveness. Worship is the source of kindness. The Christian life is to be lived from a position of worship, of awe, of gratitude, of receiving the love and forgiveness of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. From that humble and grateful posture, we then walk as he walked. From worship rooted in Christ, we walk in love like Christ loved. The love of God is the source of loving others. So Jesus' love is worshipful. And then number two, Jesus' love is sacrificial. It says he gave himself up as a sacrifice to God. There were two more offerings in the Old Testament, the sin offering and the guilt offering, and they're mentioned in Leviticus 4 and 5. So if you put that all together, you can read five chapters of Leviticus. Don't read it at 10 o'clock at night before you go to bed. But these sacrifices were offered up for in, intentional and unintentional sins committed by the people. These sacrifices are, are not described as sweet-smelling. 
they were to receive forgiveness for the sins that they committed. Jesus giving himself as a sacrifice was the fulfillment of the Old Testament offerings for sin. Done, once for all. His sacrifice did it all. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice sufficient to pay for the sins of every one of us. But the nuance of this word sacrifice goes even further than just looking back at the Old Testament sacrifices. It also carries with this idea that Jesus had no regard for his life. He did not consider his life something that he needed to hold on to. He was more concerned with our eternal well-being, saving us from sin and death, than he was with proving who he was. Philippians says he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Do you know how radical this is? Jesus offered his life for our stake instead of proving that he was God. Jesus' love for us is sourced in his love for God the Father, not in loving himself. It was not about his pleasure. It wasn't about his own self-gratification, his self-esteem or his self-worth. It was all for others, for us. And Jesus' love was not contingent. It wasn't contingent upon how people acted toward him or their attitudes toward him. He remained kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. Now, if we're to have that same kind of love, then to, to love sacrificially may mean we sacrifice our need for vindication. Jesus did not vindicate himself. We sacrifice our right to speak. Jesus stood silent in the face of his accusers. We sacrifice our right to comfort. To comfort. Jesus was whipped and beaten. We sacrifice our right to do what we want. Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. We sacrifice our right to live. He gave his life as a ransom for many. No greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, is what Jesus said. And yet Jesus' love went beyond the greatest example of love in that he laid down his life for his enemies. Jesus loved us enough to die for us so we could go from enemies to friends with God and his beloved children. So we could be free from the old self, free from the body of sin, free from doing all the things that harm ourselves and everyone else, free from death and free to love. The family of God is founded, this family of God is founded upon the sacrificial love of Jesus. Jesus' sacrificial love was the means by which the broken relationship that we had with God was mended. It was not easy. His love was an act of obedience. Our position in the family was made possible through the sacrifice of Jesus. The family culture of sacrificial love is carried on by all the followers of Jesus. And we think of all those who are persecuted over there on the other side of the world right now. Their love is found in this too. All those who are part of God's family through faith in Jesus are to be characterized by the sacrificial love of Jesus. Relationships then are restored. Jesus broke down the wall of hostility that divided us. Jesus made peace between all of us and we're to endeavor to maintain that unity through sacrificial love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 speaks of the, of the family culture of love that should characterize all of us as followers of Jesus. What's striking about 1 Corinthians 13, we hear it all the time in, in weddings and things like that, but this is 
This passage says that if we don't have the love of Jesus for others, then all of our good actions are nothing. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so I could remove mountains, this is the most religious person you can find. He can have faith and remove mountains and he speaks in tongues. It's all this stuff, but I don't have love. I am nothing. If I give away all I have, I'm exceedingly generous. And if I deliver up my body to be burned, I become a martyr. But I have not love. I've gained nothing. He goes on, he says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That's not an affectionate feeling. That's a choice. That's an action. And that's what Jesus did for us. That's the example he leaves, and that's the same thing Paul talks about in Ephesians. So Jesus' love is worshipful and sacrificial. And finally, Jesus' love is unconditional. It says that Jesus gave himself up for us. I wonder what it would look like if we loved one another and the community around us sacrificially as Jesus loved. But to take it a step further, I wonder what it would look like if we loved one another and the community around us unconditionally. What if we, like Jesus, gave ourselves up for our enemies, the sinners, the sexually immoral, the covetous, the thieves, the angry, the corrupt talkers, the liars, the idolaters, the bitter, the hateful, the betrayers, the abusers. You know, Jesus was accused of loving these very people. In Mark chapter two, the Pharisees said, why are you eating with sinners? Jesus loved these people. Would it be safe to, a safe assumption to say that walking in love as Jesus loved would mean that followers of Jesus would be accused of loving the very same people? Flip over to 1 John real quick. 1 John chapter 4 where we were this morning. According to 1 John 4, 7 through 12, it all begins with loving one another in the body of Christ. 1 John 4, 7, he says, Beloved. Notice he starts that again with beloved. All the Christian life is sourced in being a beloved child of God and receiving the love of Jesus, being forgiven and set free by the blood of Jesus. So he starts it out too with beloved, just like Paul did. And then he says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever loves God has been born of God and knows God. The expectation of grace is love. If we have been born again, adopted into God's family, then we will begin to look and act like our father. My kids have no hope. They, in many respects, look like and act like me. I'm so sorry, kids. Because they spend time with me, but also because they have my DNA in them. If we have been born into God's family, his DNA is in us. And we should know him as a result of being with him so much. Because 
Go on to verse eight here. Anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. That's his DNA. That's who he is. If I know God because his DNA is in me, then I should be loving as he loves. And God showed us what love is, verse nine. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God's love was sacrificial. He sent his son, a sacrificial act on his part, which demonstrated God's love to us. And then it was unconditional, verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That big word just means the satisfaction or the fulfillment, the payment for our sins. It was unconditional. His love is not contingent upon anything we did, nothing in us. It says not that we loved him, but that he loved us first. The expectation of grace is love, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. And verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his perfect love is perfected in us. Through our love, Jesus is revealed to the world. Others will see Jesus. We disappear and they see Jesus. And he continues down in verse 19. John continues this this whole discourse on love, which is so beautiful. Verse 19, he says, we love because he first loved us. The motivation of all of life for loving God, for loving others, for doing good works is that he first loved us. And John isn't the first to say that. And we've seen this in, in the book of Ephesians. Back in Ephesians, I just want to point this out because love is all through this thing. Ephesians 1, 3 to 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Chapter 2 Verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Chapter three, verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Chapter four, verse 16, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in what? In love. Chapter five, verse two, we just read, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Chapter six, verse 23, he ends the book on this theme. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith. Not faith alone, but love with faith. From God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now John is so straightforward. He says the expectation of grace is love. He continues verse 20 back in chapter four of 1 John. He says, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. 
The expectation of grace is love. It is incongruous to say that we love God as beloved children and not love those whom he loves. As I was preparing this message, I told you I had a difficult time. There are places that the Spirit is working on me. I had to look at those from my past who hurt me. I had to look on those who betrayed me and who degraded me. And I, ha- I have forgiven them in Christ. I can say that I've done that. But do I act in love towards them? Loving is hard work. It's not always fun to love others. My mood, my happiness, my comfort are not the criteria for me to love. In fact, if I love, it might not actually feel good. Jesus' example of unconditional love is the criteria for me to love. And it's also the strength by which I find to love. And it's the strength from which you can love others as well. Belief in Jesus for salvation from sins is the starting point of all of this. This is true. But it don't stop there. The life of a believer doesn't stop there. It's a journey of growing in the knowledge of Jesus' love and then building one another up in his sacrificial and unconditional love. And I'm going to end with this story. It's a story of a dear friend of Kelly and I who, love, who we love and admire. And our dear friend had a broken relationship in her life for many, many years. She was estranged from her father for 30 years due to a, his, his addiction to alcohol. He was not present in her life. As you can imagine, this left deep pain. She served for a number of years in a ministry that helped the broken, the homeless, the addicted, the poor, and the needy. As she served this population, the Spirit of God challenged her to reach out to her father, who was much like the ones that she had already been serving. God put the thought in her mind that as a recipient of forgiveness and love, she needed to forgive and love her father. Even though she had put her father out of her mind for many, many years and didn't really ever want to see him again, she listened to God. Love is a choice. It's an action. It's not a feeling. And love is sacrificial. Our friend in obedience reached out to her father and went to visit him. She realized that he was a broken person and needed her help. Although she did not feel like loving him, she decided to imitate God by walking as Jesus walked in obedient love. She quit her job so that she could help him recover from addiction, find sustainable housing, and put his life together. It was a lot of work. She and her husband gave up income, time, and emotion to love the undeserving. Now, I'd like to say that it all ends happily ever after. We want the Hollywood ending, don't we? But life is not always like that. Jesus' life wasn't like that. So he still retains old habits and old ways of thinking that are difficult at times for our friend. She finds that she must continue to love unconditionally. She must love expecting nothing in return. She must love when she's exhausted. She must love when she's emotionally drained. But here's the cool thing. Her love reveals Jesus to others. First and foremost to her father whose faith in Jesus has been rekindled and who has been addiction-free for six months. But it's also been a, 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 I've seen Jesus in her too. And her story's been told to many others who are from broken and fractured relationships. Those folks are being encouraged to walk in love as Jesus loved them. And she would say that this set of circumstances, like none other, has caused her to grow closer to the love of her soul, Jesus. 
And he has sustained her and provided for her and protected her through this time. So the basis of our loving behavior is the example of a worshipful, sacrificial, and unconditional love of Jesus. If we follow Jesus then, the natural fruit of that will be that we will walk in love as Christ loved us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus down to earth for us. That's an incredible sacrifice to think that God Almighty, the God of the universe, would not think it important enough to prove that he was God, but instead took the form of a servant, was made like us, and died for us. Thank you, Jesus, for that incredible example. May we live as your followers like you. May you impress upon our hearts the importance of following in your footsteps, of living a lives of gratitude for what you've done for us. We can't thank you enough. You're a great, amazing, and awesome God. We praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.